Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels back with, you guessed it, another episode of the Wacky World of Energy. Now, it seems like the news has cooled off just a little bit. We'll be revisiting some ideas we talked about last week. And if you're new to this show and go, well, I wasn't here last week, that's fine. Go ahead and hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Frack that follow button if you're watching anywhere else, and you'll be up to speed in no time. But I think that's all the housekeeping I've got to get out of the way. Anthony, where are we going to begin? Oh man, just another wacky world, another <laughs> wacky world of energy. Here we go with all the madness. Yeah. So I think first up here we have this uh, big day today for Europe, right? Mm-hmm. July 11th. Yep. Um, oil price article here. Same day, July 11th. Gazprom suspends Nord Stream gas flows for scheduled maintenance. Bum, bum, bum. Of course, this was a, a planned maintenance. Um, a lot of people have been talking about this for weeks on end especially with everything going on politically over there, <clears throat> Russia cutting down gas flows. And um, there's a lot of concern over there in the European Union that uh, they might use this as an excuse to, uh, to shut things off. So we'll just get into the article a little bit here. Uh, Gazprom today suspended the flow of gas along Nord Stream 1 pipeline for regulatory scheduled maintenance, which will last 10 days. Germany, however, has been warning that the Russian state gas major may not restart the flow of gas after the completion of maintenance work in retaliation for Western sanctions against Moscow. Quote, based on the pattern we've seen, it would not be very surprising now if some small technical detail was found and then they could say, now we can't turn it on anymore, German economic minister said in late June. Currently, the flow of gas along the pipeline that supplies the bulk of Germany's imports of Russian gas is just 40% of capacity following the delay of the return of a turbine that Gazprom says is crucial crucial for keeping export volumes at their usual levels. The turbine, turbine, whose maintenance is performed by Germany Siemens Energy, was sent to Canada, which approved additional sanctions against Russia the day's days before the turbine was due to be returned. Germany first blamed Russia for making a political decision to lower the flows. And we talked about this a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Oh, Russia's just making a political blah, blah, blah. Like they're, they're making up excuses. As it turns out, this thing was actually sitting in Canada. All these Western-facing nations oh, are so man. all like, sanction, 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 sanction. And this thing in there. Canada's holding up a turbine. And it hurt Germany more than anything. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. Germany, so yeah, Germany first blamed Russia for making a political decision and then turned to Canada to ask it to return the turbines so Moscow would not have an excuse to further reduce. So <laughs> Of course, this makes Ukraine mad, okay? So Ukraine, yeah. which has been insisting Canada does not return the turbine, said it was deeply disappointed by the decision. You can't make nobody happy, man. No, no, we can't even, <laughs> at this point, Everyone's going to be upset oh whether that's God. Russia not getting their turbine back, Ukraine not having the energy, or, I don't know, Canada <laughs> listening to the sanctions that the entire world said they would follow. Oh, Everyone's my upset. God. Everybody's upset. You, you did this. You said that. Blah, blah, blah. Why'd you do that? It's like, you can't make, you know. You know what? You know what would make a lot of people happier is if they just figured out how to develop their own energy. And not be so reliant on everybody else. When you're reliant on so many different parties out there and one party decides to start a scuffle, guess what? You're sitting there in the middle of all this and like, oh, I'm, 
I'm getting I'm getting put upon. This isn't working for me. Blah blah blah. You know, it's like, well, you know what? How about this, Jeremy? How about you rewind the clock and look at all your poor decisions for the last twenty years? How about that? Mm-hmm. And shutting off all your nuclear. How about that? How about only having coal instead of figuring out to work with other European partners to promote natural gas development? You know, because that's essentially what we decided to bring in to back up all these wind turbines and solar panels. Yeah, well, I guess better late than never, huh? For people to start remembering how their modern life is powered. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, should we go ahead and jump to that other article then? The, The Canada agrees one. I know it's a bit out of order, but ties right in. Yeah, we might as well. All yeah, right. We might so as well this do is that. also from oil price. Canada agrees to return Russian turbine despite new sanctions released today on the 11th. Contains a lot of the same information we just went over, but here in the middle of it, we've got the Canadian government said this weekend, as reported did by Reuters, that it would issue a time limited and revocable permit for the return of the turbine, effectively exempting it from its new package of sanctions. Ottawa also said. <laughs> Perhaps in a bid to appease Kiev, that it would slap more sanctions on Russia's energy industry. So they're temporarily lifting all sanctions and then tightening them down harder after they return it. It's just, it's theater at this point. It's people doing their best to follow what was outlined, but it's really a tangled mess at this point. Like you said, with all these people involved. The new sanctions, the Canadian government said, will apply to land and pipeline transport in the manufacturing of metals and of transport, computer, electronic, and electrical equipment, as well as machinery, which seems like a very roundabout way to say sanctions on everything. But I I don't know. This is just ridiculous. It's a tangled mess. Canada was following the rules, but the rest of Europe says, wait, get this back because we actually need this. We'll allow Russia to give us some more energy, but... I guess we'll just have to wait and see after this 10 days passes. I mentioned how I thought uh, Russia's probably going to leave it down, but you were saying sometimes it's easier, a bit more tactical to not do the things that people would expect. Well, yeah, I mean, look, everybody's all sitting here all puckered up for these gas flows not to come back online. I'm going to go out and take a guess, and I'm going to say that they will come back online within a decent proximity. That being said, no, not will. How about that they could? They could come back <laughs> online. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> that being said, <clears throat> they could come back online at not full capacity, mm-hmm. right? Drag it on for a handful more weeks, another month or two even. Now you're closer to winter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, it's just so easy. I mean, this is when they're trying to fill up right now. If Russia were to do what everybody is expecting and just not return this at all after the 10 day period, which is definitely very possible, then they're like, you know what? We figured it right. Now we got, we got to get busy. We got to figure out our storage. We got to figure out how we're going to go into winter. But, and I'm just going to say this, if Russia does return the gas within a decent period of time, around the 10-day mark, or maybe a couple days after, and don't return it to full capacity, citing some other technical glitch, or needing this worked on, needing that worked on, then they can almost, you know, kind of dangle them on a little bit longer, right? Like, what's going on here? A little bit of uncertainty goes a long way, especially when you're trying to unpo- impose your will on others, right? So, more so to tighten the we'll see what happens. 
kick out the stool sort of situation. Yeah. <laughs> Leave some plausible deniability yeah. to keep yourself. Oh, I brought prepared. you. Yeah, I gave you your stool back, but one of the legs <laughs> is a little wobbly. Uh huh. But it's okay. Your stool's back. You can sit on it. Just, just you know. <laughs> and then when you're like, okay, maybe, and then boom, yeah, damn. Uh. I look. I don't want to speculate too much because that is pure speculation on what they will do. Nobody yep. knows. Putin probably knows. But heck, he might even wait for the ten day period to go by and make a final decision. Who knows, right? Mm. We'll see. I guess my main point is this: I wouldn't be strategically surprised if they do return the gas, at least a good chunk of it, around when they should, quote unquote. Um. But I also think that if done, that would be another reason to misdirect, to create further chaos, not because things are getting better, mm-hmm. right? So I'll just go out there and we'll see. <clears throat> we'll see how, how accurate I am, you know. If we keep going on and on, Tavis, and uh, connecting the dots weeks or months ahead of time, as we have been doing, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody from the Department of Defense will call up Rare Petro and be like, how do you guys figure this stuff out? Like, oh, I thought you were going to say that the KGB finds a way to get you to disappear. No, no. <laughs> I don't know anything. We don't know nothing. We're just uh-huh. a couple of guys over here. You know, we study the industry. We look for the dots, but, you know, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, you went to a dark place there, didn't you? <laughs> I assume the worst. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Keeps you prepared. Yeah, let's rotate. Yeah, tangled like Anthony mentioned. The more people you have involved, the messier it gets. <clears throat> this is another oil price article. Title: French industry switches to oil from gas amid uncertainty over Russian supply. Major energy intensive industry. Oh, sorry, this was released also today, July 11th. Major energy-intensive industries in France look to convert gas boilers to run on oil as French and European (laughs) businesses prepare for another decline or a complete halt of Russian gas deliveries to Europe. So this is... So we got Germany over... Hold on, I got to say, guys. Yeah, go for it. So we got Germany over here kicking on the lignite coal plants, right? We got France talking about using petro fire power plants. We just turned back the clock 80 years. Mm Mm-hmm. We're transitioning the wrong way now. No Russian gas supply would hit many energy-intensive industries in Europe, including in its biggest economies, Germany, France, and Italy. Uh, The two-week-long maintenance is set to end July 22nd. Again, you're pretty familiar with these stories. Uh, Scroll down a little more. What we've done is converted our boilers so they're capable of running on gas or oil, and we can even switch to coal if we need to. Florent Menigo, chief executive. Animal crap and trees. (laughs) Yeah, he's the chief executive at Michelin, one of the world's <laughs> biggest tire makers. He told a conference in France this weekend. And honestly, to take anything away from this, I'm really surprised U.S. oil markets are not improving over this news. I mean, converting back to gas, sure, Freeport explosion kind of diminishes our export capacity. But now oil? I'm sure we've got plenty of tankers that would be more than happy to go to France, Germany, wherever, and give them oil to fire their power plants. But then again... It is a global energy shortage. Wow. Let's prepare for a cutoff of Russian gas. Le Maire, uh, France's finance minister, was quoted saying at a conference, today, it's the most likely scenario. Yeah, see, they're all getting prepared for this, you know. Yeah, on top of possible, and this article continues, I'll pick it up here, Tavis, where you left it off. Mm-hmm. On top of possible gas shortages, France has, isu- has had issues with its nuclear power generation this year which has reduced the available electric supply electricity supply 
in France and Europe and sent French power prices for next year surging. France's nuclear power generation accounts for around 70% of its electrical mix. And when its reactors are fully operational, it is a net exporter of electricity to other European countries. Prolonged maintenance at several nuclear reactors this year, however, means that France and the rest of Europe have less nuclear-generated power supply now. Moreover, power plant giant EDF warned last week that it might have to reduce nuclear power generation this summer because of environmental regulations as water levels of rivers are low and water temperatures are high. If I'm That's not mis- a bad mix. If I'm not mistaken, uh, even before that statement was released, I believe their nuclear uh, output is the lowest it's been in 30 years. At the same yeah. time that Russia's turning off gas deliveries, I mean, this is the perfect storm against many, many countries. And the green transition yeah. certainly didn't help. Yeah, so we're we're starting to see the effects, the knock-on effects of how interconnected everything is, right? And I do mean everything. So you have power generation. The energy sector is the foundational sector for every other industry. So when you have energy prices go up, it becomes harder to manufacture things, especially at a cost-affordable basis, right? It also becomes harder to supply the quantity that might be demanded, especially per historical norms before COVID, say, when I say historical there. Um, but now we have this circling around where you have so many other issues in supply chain, so many other issues with manufacturing, so many other personnel shortages, um, all these things going on in the economy and social economic stuff. You know, it's just... And now you have these other issues cropping up and creating a problem. And how are you going to keep supplying parts and equipment for the energy sector that is powering all the others? It becomes difficult to get yourself out of a hole, especially when you wanted to go down a pathway of, let's put up a bunch of windmills and solar panels. Well, you need to back all those up with something because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine, right? Well, what are you going to back it up with? Pretty much your main choices are coal, gas, nuclear, maybe oil. It looks like France is going to try and kick off that as another option to, to generate electricity. <sighs> it's a difficult predicament to find yourself in because... Really, what you have right now is you have, there is no easy out. There is no, what do we switch to? What do you switch to? Again, it all goes back to the same thing. Be honest with yourself about the energy mix that powers your modern life and provides you your modern materials and your modern conveniences. And then focus on attaining energy security for said things that you need and make for darn sure that you're more concerned about where are you getting your energy and how are you getting it rather than lying to yourself about what energy you need because that's all everybody is doing and it's unique challenges like the ones you're describing right now that are probably going to throw specific markets energy markets into a tailspin and we even have putin weighing in on that in some later news oh yes let's tee it up for the next article here Tavis. sure thing another oil price article you know we love them This one released on the 8th, titled, 
Putin predicts catastrophic consequences for the global energy market. I believe dun, this was dun. during a televised meeting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russian President Vladimir Putin sees catastrophic energy consequences for Europe as sanctions against his country continue. Quote, We know that the Europeans are trying to replace Russian energy resources. However, we expect the results of such actions to be an increase in gas prices on the spot market and an increase in the cost of energy resources for end consumers, which we're already seeing right now. That was Putin. He said that at a televised meeting with senior officials on Friday. The result, according to Putin, is that the sanctions will be felt more acutely by Europe than by Russia. Quote, further use of sanctions may lead to even more severe, without exaggeration, even catastrophic, consequences on the global energy market. End quote, according to Putin. And uh, I'm going to say I agree with him because he's got the energy resources that everyone is scrambling to replace. Europe has struggled to find a surefire way to punish Russia for its invasion of Ukraine without feeling the pain itself, given that Europe has relied on Russia for roughly 40% of its natural gas needs. Major European economies such as Germany are already grappling with power company bankruptcies as they source higher cost natural gas from sources other than Russia. The article goes on, but really it's just Putin telling it like it is. As much as I hate to admit that he is correct, uh, he's got the energy resources that people are trying to replace and it's simply too large a magnitude to be able to do it economically. That's why we see these spot prices and markets go up, and that's why energy is becoming more expensive for many people, especially in Europe. Yeah, yeah. When they finish up the article, now I'm talking about what the G7 had put out, <laughs> that Europe is now mulling a price cap on Russian oil to punish Russia by restricting its revenues while maintaining its supply of crude. <laughs> but the details are complex and re would require buy-in from other countries, including China and India. Critics of the plan suggest that such a plan is nonsense and has little chance of working. Uh, Succinct. You know what? I'm actually going to disagree with the critics right there. Really? Oh, it has a great chance of working. For Russia's benefit. <laughs> I was going to say, after everything we yeah. talked about. What, what, <laughs> no, what no, is this no, no. Warning? Sorry, everybody's sitting there. What are, we, what are you going to say now? Yeah, see, it all depends on what perspective you take, right? Because mm -hmm. we're sitting over here very West-centric, and we should be. This is where we are, but that doesn't mean we can be blind and naive to the dynamics that are happening on the other side of the planet. What I mean by that is that you have all of these things happening where you have these countries getting together. China is buying, they don't care about sanctioned barrels. They were buying Venezuelan barrels, Iranian barrels, all while they were sanctioned. Okay. They are now buying Russian barrels all while they're sanctioned. India is doing the same thing. They're going to get the energy that they need at the price that's better than what they can get if they go through the U.S. dollar system. Okay? And the more countries that do this, the more real it becomes that oil can and will be traded in systems outside of the U.S. dollar. When that happens, we will be held to account in the Western world very quickly. This is happening right now. This is unfolding. This isn't a prediction. This is an observation of now. We will be held to account to understand what it actually costs to power the life that we want with the fuels that we need to do it. All right. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know, and then circling back real quick to the first couple of articles we talked about with, you know, there was this turbine held up in Canada and Germany was blaming Russia for making a, a political statement. No, it was actually held up in Canada. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go on a limb here. 
I don't really think Russia is going to rely heavily on Canada to do this work very much longer. No. <laughs> They're probably going to ask, oh, gee, what's another big powerhouse for manufacturing? China. Mm-hmm. Hey, China, we're going to give you some real good cheap energy, yeah? And yeah. what we need in return from you is we need all of this work that we were sending to North America before to get done for places that other then you, Lao, will send it to you, right? Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's going to like be a strategic partnership. Oh, it's a huge strategic partnership. And really, at the end of the day, the longer that the Western nations just are delusional and their politicians are delusional about what powers the world and what makes everything they enjoy possible, the longer that this pain is going to ensue. Right, there is no way around this. You either want the barrels or you don't. But don't tell me that you don't have to make concessions by not getting the barrels because your entire life is powered by these things, these hydrocarbons from the ground. Your entire life is powered by them. Mm-hmm. So you know what? You go ahead and sit there and talk about how you need to go green and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, you still need a lot of this stuff and uh, hydrocarbons from the ground. I mean. And you know what? If you need it, you might as well just know it and you might as well just continue. I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to hammer this more and more as we talk, right? Because it's the same story over and over. All this news and all this stuff that's coming out, you know what it is? It's just the real world playing out. The real world, not a lab, not, not an academic paper, not a government funded PhD team to sit there and talk about how amazing all these other things might be or should be, or are even, when they're not. They all have trade-offs. I don't care what source you go to to power your life. You always have trade-offs. So what all of this is with Europe and Russia and China and India and the United States, NATO, and all all of this stuff, everybody, all of it goes back to the same underlying theme. Be honest with what powers your life. And be more concerned about where you're going to get it from and how are you going to get it. Because once you do that, then you can actually have a chance of doing some transitions, if you will. Because you can have a soft fall into the transition period. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be overly reliant on somebody supplying the hydrocarbons. You're lying to yourself that you, oh, we don't need those. Oh, yeah, you do. In fact, you went so anti-hydrocarbon that you just relied on all of it from somebody else. It's like California. Anybody can go to California's own government website for their energy, and they can see that California is roughly using the same amount of oil as they did 40 years ago. Has there been population growth in that time? Yes, there has been population growth in that time. There's also been fuel efficiency gains. Much of the per capita reduction in liquid fuel usages and hydrocarbons in general and even natural gas is likely attributable to general technological improvements and fuel efficiency improvements the fact remains though that you still need a whole whopping heap of this stuff every single day to power your life Mm -hmm. so it just it's always the same freaking story all this news is just what's going on in the real world where people use this against you right so 
with that, I think we can do our normal kind of rotation. We've talked about some things going on overseas. How about we circle it back over the pond here to where we are? What's our first domestic article, Tavis, oh, that we, we have? Oh, we got to do it. This first one is from Heart Energy, pivot from oil price. Title, Widening Oasis Petroleum Become Cord Energy as Merger Closes. Now, this was per- published on the first of the month, so a little bit before our last recording even, but I just wanted to bring this up because we've got two pretty large companies. They've got assets over, well, tier top tier assets across 972,000 net acres, and they pledged to return 60% of its free cash to shareholders, close this $6 billion deal. Really, standard stuff at the end of the day, but you and I were talking about it, and you said this isn't exactly a mark of a healthy, booming market. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, so just first to clarify, I mean, in any market, you're going to see mergers and acquisitions. I mean, boom times, buzz times, whatever. But I will tell you this. What I'm not seeing is a bunch of articles about a bunch of new land being leased up in these shale basins. Mm -hmm. I am not seeing articles about all these massive CapEx programs. I'm not seeing anything about a bunch of new oil companies coming into existence. Right. Even this one, 60% of free cash back to shareholders. Yeah. (laughs) What you generally see during not boom times is a concentration of mergers and acquisitions for the purposes of consolidation. Kind of like what we saw through 2020 when things got real bad in the start of the second half. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing against mergers and acquisitions. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is any big domestic corporate oil and gas company producer news that we generally see about big deals isn't about drilling a bunch of wells, isn't about leasing a bunch of new stuff, isn't about a bunch of new companies going public in the oil and gas. Like, oh God, no. If anything, they're going to be going private. But it's just another example that $100 US oil, you know, $100 WTI in US dollars does not seem to be enough. It's not the $100 oil of eight, 10 years ago, everybody. I mean, the rig counts aren't even close to what they were back then. And then all I'm seeing on the big news is stuff like this, you know, stuff, mergers and acquisitions. So good news for everybody. A good congrats for them for doing their mergers and all this here. But until we start seeing news about a bunch of drilling and CapEx programs and new companies being created. The rest of this is just not the kind of tempo and activity that creates a, the feed stock for a massive supply surge in U.S. oil and gas in the next couple of years. Yeah, I don't think we have any news like that to discuss upcoming in this episode, but we do have some news surrounding what some are calling a potential conflict of interest. Now, even Anthony and I were discussing before recording this if we wanted to include it, because we don't want to come off as a couple of talking heads from Fox News, but it is an idea to consider. This was published by Fox Business through MSN's website. Article title, Energy Experts Sound Alarm on Biden Selling Oil to China, quote, worthy of congressional investigation, end quote. And this was actually published today, only a few hours ago, because this story broke, I believe, last evening. Power the Future founder Daniel Turner raised concerns Monday about President Biden reportedly selling 1 million barrels of oil from the nation's Strategic Petroleum Reserve to a Chinese gas giant linked to his son Hunter Biden, telling Varney and company it is an outrageous sale. (laughs) And I believe the rest of this article is just his quotes, but uh, it, it doesn't provide a whole lot of new information, but... 
I don't know. I'm just a member of this wonderful country, but this to me sounds a little bit fishy, no? Well, you know, look, you know, linked to the son of the president, whether I believe it or not, whatever, it doesn't, I, I don't, whatever. That's not to me the crux though. The crux is more that we have decided to drain our strategic petroleum reserve. Yes. To the tune of hundreds of millions of barrels in aggregate. Take it where? And a lot of those barrels, or some of those barrels, either way, barrels from our strategic reserve are finding their way to the shores of China. Mm -hmm. That is happening. Whatever links you want to talk about, tabloidy, about connections to this politician's son or that person or what. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I'm not going to. I don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. how true that is. But uh, the reason we have this in here for our audience was more to point out that whatever the links are between politicians and their kin doesn't change the fact, and it is a fact, that we are draining our strategic reserves and those barrels are going to other places, including but not limited to China. Really? Mm -hmm. While they buy (laughs) cheap discounted energy from Russia While they are actively buying cheap Russian crude. That's Mm -hmm. correct. So we're draining our savings account, basically, to subsidize a situation that's being empowered on the other side of the planet that we're trying to sanction against. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good chunk of the stuff we have in our strategic reserves is A, that's for emergencies. Like, hey, the military's gonna need a lot of diesel guys because we got a lot of boats and tanks and crap we gotta get out there and mobilize him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And second of all, you have a refining capacity shortage of a million barrels a day right now in the United States. Who's going to take all this extra crude from the strategic reserve? They can't absorb it. They're already running over 95% capacity. Look it up. Where are they going to go with those barrels? Well, Hold on to them for put them on a tanker and sell them overseas. Yep. Wait until our oil energy prices go up to $200 a barrel and sell it right back to us. Yeah. Well, for us to refill, you know, the (laughs) strategic reserve, I believe, has a capacity of over 700 million barrels. That's right. So where are we going to get everything to fill everything back up? We're going to go out on the market and pay $40, $50 a barrel more. (laughs) Than what what the price was at when we decided to put it on the market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any business would be bankrupt already. Any trader would be absolutely outed. You know, I can't believe you made that trade. What are you thinking? Are you insane? Mm-hmm. You sold it at seventy and eighty dollars, and you're gonna turn around and buy it back at a hundred, a hundred and twenty, hundred and ten. Come on, man. <clears throat> Wait a minute. You decided to sell something without asking where you would find a place for it in the market first. <laughs> it was, I thought that was to help us, no. right? Let's release our strategic reserves to help us. Well, no, I'm sure they're out there parroting about how gasoline prices have fallen, right? They, they are. That, that is our next article. So even if the SPR is putting lots of great resources back in China's pocket, oil price reports gasoline prices see the largest drop in nearly 15 years 
And uh, a lot of the Biden administration, I got to say, has been very quick to point this out, even though, I mean, a drop from a record high is still higher than it was a year ago. Here's the article. While gasoline prices are still $1.50 higher per gallon than they were this time last year, they fell sharply overnight in what was the largest one-day drop in nearly 15 years. The current price for a gallon of gasoline in the United States is averaging 4.721 on Friday, down from 4.752 per gallon on Thursday, a 3.1 cent drop. The weekly change is even more significant at 12.1 cents. According to Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan, more than 5,800 gas stations across the country are offering gasoline at 3.99 or less. While they are trending down this week, gasoline prices are still $1.58 higher than they were this time last year. Gasoline prices continue to drop as crude oil prices rose on Thursday and Friday, but crude oil prices are still down significantly week on week. High gasoline prices have been a worry for the Biden administration, which has so far released more than 145 million barrels of crude from the nation's strategic petroleum reserves, bringing the SPR down to levels not seen in decades in order to calm the high prices at the pump. But the falling price of crude oil, which makes up about 60% of the cost of gasoline, fell this week, largely on fears of a recession. Another measure that the Biden administration has taken includes asking OPEC Plus to pump more, but the group has either been unwilling or unable to live up to production quotas. Also contributing to the price decrease in gasoline is U.S. gasoline demand, which is down roughly 4.5% from last week. So lots of factors at play here you can see. Sure, biggest drop in 15 years, but energy prices are still way high, and it probably had more to do with commodities falling in price than historic releases from the SPR. Yeah. You know, to me, it almost sounds like somebody's saying, I lost five pounds in a week. After putting 100 on and over the holiday break. <laughs> uh, after being 400 pounds, you know? <laughs> Yeah, right yeah. like oh yeah you know i mean but you got a problem man yeah, you gotta that, twist these statistics i'm just gonna point out a little thing that's a little reality oh what when they're talking about week over week drop in prices oh gee what happened over that period of time oh yeah that's right the biggest summer holiday in the united states the fourth of july mm. of course there's going to be a drop in gasoline demand at the week after the 4th of July. <laughs> exactly. Versus the week leading up and through the 4th of July. Yep. You should well, expect that. But 4.5 well, doesn't well, sound Why like is that a change. surprise? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh, but it's a big drop. It's not a big drop. You lost five pounds. You're 400 pounds. You mm -hmm. have a problem. That mm -hmm. doesn't move the needle. You, yep. you still have a problem. A very, <laughs> very big problem. Uh -huh. And that problem has not been solved because you just decided to order six cheeseburgers instead of 12. For the last three days, mm -hmm. okay. I, I I don't know what to say. I, I I just whatever. They released these reserves to try and help with gasoline without figuring out that oh yeah, there's a huge bottleneck in our refining capacity, largely because we wanted them all to go to biofuels, huh? And they're still offline, and they're going to have a hard darn time sourcing the feedstock for said biofuels in a global food crisis right <laughs> you released oil without thinking about who is going to take it because i'll tell you one thing if the oil you released from the strategic reserve did not go directly to a refiner that turned around and made gasoline for the u.s consumer you didn't help in that regard 
all you did was you drained our savings account. Congratulations, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't, whatever. Yeah. Well, we'll wait for the winter heating bills and we'll see how much, how much they take pride in the decisions that they've made. Oh, oh well, they'll find some. You're saying to wait down. to see the winter bills? I mean, our next story, we're already looking at the summer bills and they could be high, especially for a place like Texas. We've got an article from Reuters where the Texas grid operator warns of potential for rolling blackouts amid scorching heat. Now, remember what Anthony said about winter and remember it's also only summer. The state faces a, quote, potential reserve capacity shortage with no market solution available, end quote. And that's directly from ERCOT's website, adding an energy emergency alert that advised of the potential for rolling blackouts. ERCOT, which oversees power to more than 26 million customers, had assured residents earlier this year that it had enough reserves to meet demands after millions of people suffered without power through a deep freeze in 2021 for several days. Temperatures across the state hit records on Sunday with 105 degrees Fahrenheit recorded at Houston's Bush Intercontinental Airport, surpassing the record of 101 set in 1909, according to the U.S. National Weather Service. High or dangerous heat levels are forecast for much of the state on Monday, with temperatures exceeding 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So, ERCOT asked residents to conserve electricity between 2 p.m. and 8 p.m., saying demand could reach 79,934 megawatts on Monday and 80,104 megawatts on Tuesday, not far from Monday's expected 80,200 megawatts of available reserves. I mean, this Ooh, is just that is razor cut-wrenching, right? The margins here are, what, under 2%? It's ridiculous. It's so small. Wow. It goes on to talk about a lot of what happened back before and some struggles earlier in the year, but I, I'm really surprised ERCOT's not dealt with this yet. The weatherization of their grid has been a weak point for many years now, but even past that, securing enough energy resources, this is, this is not the time to be having those problems. No, it's not. And I'm going to remind everybody, too, that whenever you do deploy systems like wind farms and solar farms, you're adding extra nodes to the grid. I want everybody to think about that for a second. Extra nodes. What does that mean? It means extra tie-ins, extra sub-facilities, extra line runs, extra things that need extra maintenance and extra supervision and extra care. That's what you're doing, right? And the reality is that they put in all this solar and wind capacity but the output from that said capacity might be 0% mm-hmm. in any given day during certain parts of the day. Wind could be just a fraction. You might have a gigawatt of wind capacity installed and it might be only putting out a tenth of that on mm-hmm. average throughout a week. Oh, crap. We didn't get our seasonal winds anymore. Mm. It's a very complicated thing. Because people are looking at stuff like record heat and this and that and saying, oh, look, this is even more of a thing about climate change. And this is even more of a we got to get off and we got to change things. Like, It is amazing to me how everybody is so convinced that we know so much about what the climate's going to be in 100 years or even next year when we don't even accurately forecast the weather in a region a week out in every case. 
Mm-hmm. And we're doing things that instead of making our systems more robust, we're making them weaker. We're putting yep. extra nodes and tie-ins. It's, it's almost as if you're deciding to put a bunch of extra rooms on your house when your foundation's already cracked and not level. Your foundation needs to be good before you can improve the house, okay? And it's like everybody forgot that basic principle. Nah, let's don't worry about our foundation. Let's just build stuff onto it. Because all these things are, these wind farms and these solar farms and these green electrical grid supplements, they're all build-ons. They're add-ins, guys. If your foundation that you're adding onto isn't good to begin with, and even worse, you defer a maintenance and you ignore it for years on end because it's just not politically popular to worry about keeping all that up. No, no, no. You just got to add the new rooms to the house. Well, yeah, but I got another crack in my foundation. Nah, 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 nah. We're not worried about the foundational stuff. That's old. We don't like that anymore. But yeah. It's the foundation still, okay? It is the foundation. So if you want to go out there and you want to go and try and defy the laws of physics as we know them currently and create a renewable energy sector grid that is entirely independent of the current foundational structure and grid, then you go out, you go have fun with that. And we might see some of that in the future. But as of now, what we have is all these things are add-ins on top of a foundation that needs some serious attention. Mm -hmm. You cannot get your grid right if all you're trying to do is focus on the add-ins. Like, why can't I get my room to frame up right? Because your foundation's cracked. I don't care about my, you have to care about your foundation. Otherwise, none of the other stuff you add onto it is gonna work correctly at all. And And again, you know, it comes back to again, don't lie to yourself about what is actually powering your modern life. You need to look at that straight in the face and be like, okay, that's my reality. So how can I make that better? But you can't lie to yourself about where your foundational modern life comes from, because that's where all these other problems start cropping up. Anthony's right. It's almost sort of uh, ironic in a very macabre way. The very energy resources that allowed us to live through these really uh, challenging weather patterns are being taken away. The more green energy we chase after having the more people will be at risk of dying from climate related deaths between that and going back to using coal and oil oil powered energy there's some big questions to be asked and that's why we invite you to follow this show so if you did enjoy this episode please hit that subscribe button if you're watching on youtube or frack that follow button through whatever platform you listen to your podcast we got lots of information we're trying to bring to the table because there's lots of questions that need asked we're fans of independent thinking and always learning so You can find all of other content that we post on our LinkedIn page. Other than that, I'm sure you'll be hearing from us very soon. So thank you for tuning in. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Thanks, Tavis.